Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. We're in a series called Thankful. In this series, what we're doing is we're looking at gratitude. We're looking at thankfulness and kind of specifically focusing in on this issue of contentment. Contentment. And here's just a quick definition of contentment. It means to accept or to find satisfaction in your situation or your lot in life. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> Doesn't sound like, like that's what we want truly in so many areas of life? To be satisfied, to accept your situation with joy, your workplace, like your kids, your spouse, your home? Doesn't that sound like something that we would want to have? This weekend, I want to talk about an aspect that's probably one of the biggest killers to contentment, and it's this issue of comparison. Comparison. When I was in college, I had a professor, his name was Dr. Soto, and he, he was in the military, and so he kind of had a buzz cut, and he was this big, burly guy, he was kind of drill sergeant-ish, and so he had a saying whenever we would take a, a, a test, he would say, you can look up for inspiration, you can look down in desperation, but you cannot look left or right in imitation. And those teachers in here are like, that's good. I'm going to write that down. Maybe I'll use that in the future. You can look up and in for inspiration. You can look down for desperation, but you can't look left or right in imitation. In other words, don't cheat. Don't try to represent on your paper what came out of someone else's heart, someone else's test that they needed to take for them. Don't, don't take that and put that on your paper. Run your own race, he was saying. And this issue of comparison for me is something that I've struggled with a lot over the years, if I'm honest, just as we begin here. Maybe it starts having an older brother who is amazing older brother. I couldn't ask for a better older brother, but he and I were so close in age, and he just excelled at everything he did, so I felt like I was always in his shadows, kind of comparing myself there. Maybe it's uh, my own insecurities, but I've, I've struggled comparing myself, what I'm good at, the kind of person I am, with someone else, with almost anyone else that's out there. I don't know if, I know this is true for me, I don't know if it's true for you, um, but for me, it's, it's like what I, what I, what I, how I perceive myself in comparison to someone else, what I've accomplished, how I see myself, Somehow, it's a reflection on my self-worth. Like I'm, I'm worthy of love or affection or worthy of being in relationship with. In my mind, if I, if I can just like compare myself to someone else, if, and I'm not, I'm not worthy of, of acceptance if I don't measure up to some sort of standard, some arbitrary standard of comparison with someone else. One area that this kind of showed up for me in kind of a big way is as a young pastor, I would go to conferences. They'd have like pastor conferences, like other conferences you go to, but it's pastor conferences. And so you would show up, and so what they would do is they'd put on this conference, and it was like this, like a conference for church planting. The conference for church planting, most church plants start, and they're a smaller group of people. But do you know who they put on the platform of the large, like of this large church planting conference? 
the people who have eight and 10 and 15,000 people in their church, right? And, and it's created for me this, this space mentally in my heart that said, if you were really successful, you would look like individuals like this. Like you would have that kind of ministry profile. You would have a certain number of people in your church. And if you were really had it all together, you'd have skinny jeans, tattoos, piercings, and you would be like the cool guy, uh, you know, like, like you don't want to see me in skinny jeans. Don't, you don't want them. Jen won't let me get a tattoo, even though I've asked. But it, it, created the, it created in me this like insecurity that what was true about me doesn't match with what they hold up as what should be true about me. And it created this insecurity. And then what it did is it created for me, listen, discontentment with my situations. I, I would go to a conference and everyone was on the mountaintop and we just loved Jesus and everyone's hands are raised and rocking music, it was awesome and this is the way life should be and then you go home and it just felt flat and so it's like, what's wrong with my, if my situation was just different, it would look like fill in the blank, fill in the blank. And it created discontentment in my heart and it was, unhealthy, and I was, I, what, what happened for me is what I experienced was never enough, but it, it almost became a little bit more insidious because as I sat there and I felt like comparing myself with others made me feel insufficient, in my own mind I would start to, to find things to nitpick about the other person just somehow to like bring them down a notch in my own head. Right? I, that's how I had to reconcile it. So I found myself finding faults in people for stupid little things that really were not consequential at all. And it just created this comparison trap in my heart, created a diseased thing. Because there's always someone who has more than you. There's always someone who is richer. There's always someone who is more eloquent. There's always someone who is prettier. There's a pastor from Atlanta. He says it this way, that there's always someone with more-er. There's always someone with more-er. They are richer. They are skinnier. They are smarter. They are hipper. They are more talented-er. Their girlfriend is prettier. Their, their boyfriend is cuter, right? Their job is better. Whatever you want to do, they do it better. Whatever you have, they have it better than you. Whatever you want to accomplish or you think you've accomplished, you look at their life and they've accomplished more. And you live in the land called Ur, where other people have it better, and I can identify with that. And I wish that I wasn't that way. And God's been doing work to reprogram how I think and how I operate. And the best moments in my life have been those times where I'm not living in comparison to someone else, but when I can truly be myself, be an integrated whole for who I am. That's when I'm at my best. Conversely, I'm at my, I'm at my worst when I'm living in the land called Ur, where I'm always looking at someone who is stronger and richer and more eloquenter, and a better guitar-er, and a better sing-er. Chances are, chances are it's not just me. Chances are there's other people in this room that might struggle with this to some extent as well. How do you know if you fall into the comparison trap? How do you know if your heart's in that place where maybe you're comparing yourself to others and it's somehow influencing your ability to be content? I wanna just maybe throw 
three things out. There's certainly more than this, but just want you to think about this and maybe use this to, come, to look at your own heart. Three flags on the field. This is a sports analogy. I don't do sports ball very often, but in sports ball, if there's, a, if there's an offense on the field, right, they throw a flag, and the flag goes up, and so you look for the little yellow flag. That's hockey, right? Is that what that is? The hockey? Right, yeah. <laughs> All right. Sure. It's in hockey. In baseball, they throw the flag up on the field. I know that's not the case. They throw the flag on the field, right? And it's like, hey, tweet, just something happens. You need to pay attention to what just occurred. And so I want to throw out three flags on the field that you and I can use to maybe think about our own hearts. And is this something that we might be be struggling with? The first thing is this. How do you know? When you become unable to rejoice with the victories of other people. When someone that's next to you in the cubicle, you know, they have something good happen in their life and you're, you're unable to rejoice with those who rejoice and you're unable to mourn with those who mourn. In fact, sometimes you flip it around. When they're rejoicing, you're kind of mourning. When they're mourning, you're like kind of rejoicing, right? So the lady in the cubicle next to you, she says, I, I'm getting married and you're like thinking, I should, this should be good for you. This should be good for you. And inside I'm thinking, I can't believe it because you know that she's married up. And the guy that she's marrying has like a huge house and already has the BMW. And you're just thinking that that's the life that I wanted to live. And so you're like on the outside, you're like, congratulations. But inside you're like, I hope it rains on your wedding day. (laughs) When you find out it's outdoors, you're unable to to celebrate for them. And the worst part of that about that is you find yourself secretly wishing for their their misfortune. And it's not even one of those things that you would cognitively think about because we all know it's that ugly in our own hearts, right? But there's still that little like, ah, it didn't go quite the way they wanted it to. And you feel a little bit of joy when that happens. Uh, I've for, for years have been involved with accountability partnerships with other gentlemen that helped sharpen me in the faith. And one of the questions we ask each other is, have you secretly wished for someone's misfortune so that you might excel? And, and that was always like this, man, why would you ever ask that? And then I had to stop and say, have I really done that? Has comparison got a grasp on my heart? The second reason, the second reason that it's dangerous, the second flag that you would find on the field is that you might accomplish something but never be happy with it. You might finally accomplish something, but you'll never be happy with it. It's funny, you know, when, when we leave our own lanes, when we start to live someone else's life, when we start to chase after someone, we start, we're chasing after someone that, that, that their, their life is wired, they're wired completely different from us. And so it's funny what happens then, even when we succeed, we fail, because this is what we realize. Once we finally get there, we realize that that thing that we were running after is never what we really wanted in the first place, because we were made for something much different than that. Over time, you watch yourself become the kind of person that you didn't want to become, because you're running someone else's race. And I don't think the saddest thing in life is, is someone who chases down their, like, a dream, and they don't accomplish it. The saddest thing in life is the person who chases it down and with everything they have, they run after it and then they finally accomplish it and they find out that it doesn't actually satisfy the way that they want it to. Because when you get there and when you actually succeed, a lot of times, more often than not, you can look at your life and you can say, oh my goodness, look, I got everything that I was running after and I never even wanted this stuff in the first place. That's the second flag. Here's the third flag that you and I need to look for. Third is you will begin to drive everyone in your life crazy. You will begin to drive everyone in your life crazy. 
If you're a husband, if you're a wife, and you're constantly comparing your spouse to some other spouse out there, you are putting on them a weight that they cannot bear. And if you're, if, you, if you're looking at your friends and you're comparing your friends to some other friend out there, you're putting a, a weight and a burden on them that they are not created to carry. If you lead an organization and you're constantly looking at other organizations and that's the way that you're going to have to, like, like, I've got to do it this way because they did it that way, you're going to frustrate the people inside your organization and you're probably going to lead your organization in the wrong direction because they had a unique set of factors that they had to include in their decision making and your decisions are completely different because your factors are completely different. And listen, if your kids grow up and they only ever experience parents that are constantly comparing them with other kids, with their cousin, with their sister, with their brother. Or, or think about this. If you're constantly comparing your kids with where you were when you were their age, you're going to frustrate them. And worse, what's going to happen is they're going to start to be traumatized. They're going to resent that because they're bearing a weight that they were never designed to bear, and they're gonna carry with them insecurities the rest of their life. I know this because I counsel people that are living under the weight of the expectations that they would be just like their sister, just like their cousin, just like their mom when they were younger. Oftentimes, it's one comment of comparison that we hear, and even some of you right now are kind of rolling tape. Yeah, there was that one thing that was said, that one lie that I accepted, and it, it steered the course of the rest of my life. One comparison. And it will damage our children, and it damages our relationships. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why we gotta pay attention to it. That's why we gotta press into this topic. There's, there's no win in comparison. There's never a win in comparison. In fact, comparison puts the dis in discontentment. There's never a win in comparison. In fact, uh, one of the smartest, wisest men that ever lived, he said it this way. He says, envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. That's like a simplistic way of saying it, like so simple. So at the end of all of this, kind of the takeaway message is this. Stop it. Knock it off. (laughs) Right? Just don't do it. Right? I, I wish it was that simple. I know it's not that simple. I know it's a lot more complex. So I'm not going to pretend this weekend to step up and just say something that's instantly going to fix the challenges that you and I have in a real world where we have real relationships, where there's a real temptation to drift into this area of comparison. Right? I know it's not going to go away instantly, but what we can maybe do is to have a couple tools to help us navigate life, some flags that we can throw up to kind of steer us away when our heart starts to drift towards content to, to, to comparison and away from contentment. And, and so that comparison might be there, it might be something to struggle with, but it's not something that has to guide and direct us. It doesn't have to steer our lives. We can have some tools to navigate it and to manage it. And listen, this is a tension that we want to manage in general as people, but listen, if you're a Christ follower, if God guides and directs your life, this is what he says. He says, you have been built for a purpose, that you are God's masterpiece, the way that you are, in the lane that you are, playing the game that he's given you to play. 
You're created for good works, which God created in Christ Jesus in advance for you to do. And if you're running someone else's race, you're not going to be able to run your race. And you could possibly get through your life and you could miss the purpose that God had for you when you run someone else's race. So my goal is to give you a few phrases from God's word in the book of Ecclesiastes that can be like a mental line of defense. Some mental phrases. You know what a mental phrase is? It's, it's something we can recite in our, in our mind because you know, it's some, maybe it needs to come out, out loud, but it's a line that we can rehearse to fight off when we start drifting into the area of comparison. It comes from Solomon. Solomon is this really successful person. Um, he chron- he kind of tells the story in the book of Ecclesiastes about how much he accomplished. In fact, he doesn't use his name, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes 1, uh, but he does call himself the preacher. I don't know why he calls He just calls himself the preacher. And he says, anything you could set yourself to accomplish, I've accomplished it. I've built it, I've gathered it, I've had it, you name it, I've lived it. And I'm going to give you the download of a life of chasing after the things that we all chase after, and I'm gonna summarize it for you and the things that you need to know. And so that's what this book is. It's a download of wisdom, how to navigate through life. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse four. He says, I saw that all toil, all toil, so all work, And all achievement, all right, so all you goal setters out there, they all spring from one person's envy of another. So Alma says, I know what's happening out there. When I see people around me, there's there's nothing new that you and I are experiencing. Solomon saw it. It was at least 3,000 years ago, probably older. And he says this. He says, everybody is simply competing. They're competing. Everyone is determining, and this is a little embarrassing because it's true, everyone is determining where they are based off of where everyone else is. He says this, this too is meaningless. It's meaningless. And then he gives us our first phrase, our first mental image, which by the way, these are in the the app if you have it, it's there available for you. He gives us our first phrase, our first mental image. He says, I saw that all toil, all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Say that out loud with me. A chasing after the wind. He would say it's endless. It's pointless. There's no trophy because there's no winner. There's no finish line. There's no peace. There's just err. Not R, but er, right? There's just happier, prettier. There's dissatisfaction guaranteed because comparison is what puts dis in discontentment. Dissatisfaction guaranteed. He says there's this tragedy because what it does is it steals the joy from our accomplishments. It steals the joy from what we've done, from what we have set out because here's what it does. It says I've accomplished it but as soon as I see someone else and they've accomplished more, now I'm not happy anymore. Someone else has more. There's always another er. So when you catch yourself, and listen, you're gonna catch yourself before this hour is out. 
You're going to be like, I know my hair looks okay, but her hair looks even better. And why, why is it like that? And some guys are like, I just wish I had hair in the first place, right? Or you'd be like, man, he, he can wear that thing. I can't, I'm not even going to try to do that. You know, he looks good in that. I don't look good in whatever. You're going to find yourself in these moments drifting into the space where you say, I'm going to look at what someone else has. I'm going to look at their lane. And when you find that, you need to say it to yourself long enough, maybe even loud enough to say it, mm, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stop right there because you know what that is? That's, that's chasing after the wind. There's no winning in that. I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to chase the wind because there's, no, there's nothing there. It's only a trap. And listen, this isn't just a Christian thing. This is like a thing thing, like a life thing. You don't want to spend your life chasing after the wind, do you? Because there's no trophy, there's no finish line, there's no win. It's just chasing after the wind. And I might not know you, but here's what I know about you to be true. That your life is too short and your life is too valuable for you to spend chasing after the wind. And so the moment you find your mind start drifting into comparison with someone else, with your, your roommate, your, your, your sister, and I can't believe they bought that thing, and I can't look at how much yard they have, and they bought the newer model of that thing. The moment that starts to happen, you say, no, 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 wait, time's flag, flag on the field. I, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna chase after the wind. Now, fortunately, fortunately this, uh, Solomon isn't through, because he knows that there's another side of this, because there's those people who would be like, see, I shouldn't chase after the wind, so I should just sit back and just kind of, you know, let everyone else do anything around me. I'm just going to take it super easy. This is what he says, you know. He says, this is not an invitation to be passive. Verse 5, he says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. A fool says, since I can't keep up with the person next to me, since someone else is always going to have more, you know, they had better opportunities growing up, they had a better family situation. Since I didn't have that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to mooch. I'm just going to play the system. I'm, I'm not going to work hard. Solomon would say, would say, listen, only a fool does that. Only a fool would, would do that. Being unproductive is not an answer. And then what does he do, does? Is he takes us into this next verse. This next verse is so powerful because he brings these two extremes together. On one hand, he says, don't chase after the wind. That's meaningless. That's not gonna get you anywhere. And then he says, on the other hand, don't fold your hands and just say, why try? He brings them together in this next statement. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And, and for some of us, we need to memorize this statement, right? Like, take a picture of the screen, whatever. It's on the app, but memorize this statement. This is another one of the phrases for us that we need to recall when we feel our heart starting to drift into the area of comparison. This is what he says. Better one hand with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. Better one hand with tranquility and two handfuls with toil. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Listen, look at the imagery of this. It's better to have one handful with tranquility. But listen, that rubs our culture the wrong way. Because if one handful of tranquility is good, two handfuls of tranquility is even better, right? Like more is always better. If I have one car, that's great. Two cars is even greater. We're always about more. And Solomon would, would say, listen, 
I have more than all of you, so just shut up and listen to me for a moment because I've learned some stuff. Like, listen to what I have to tell you. He says, on one handful is with tranquility is better than two handfuls with toil and with chasing after the wind. Tranquility means satisfaction. Tranquility means that you, you drive home to your house, to your apartment, you know, and you breathe and and you're fine, you're in your space. Tranquility means that when you drive over to your sister's house over the holidays, and you go to their house, and you pull up, and they have a gate, and you have to say, bloop, you let me in. I'm your sister after all, you know? And then you go in. When When you drive home, you say, I am so glad for them. And there's no bitterness, and there's no envy. You can just rejoice with the blessings that they have. It doesn't bother me. It, it, it means when you didn't get to go to the school that you wanted to go to and your friend just graduated from it, you're not shaking your fist at them. You can just congratulate them and be happy for them because what you've learned is that one handful of tranquility is better than two handfuls of toil because it's chasing after the wind. But it's hard because we've been assumed that the more you have, the better off your life is. And it's not true. It always leaves us wanting more. So here's the point. Here's the point. Less is more. Less is actually more when the less you hold is what you were created for. Less is actually more when the less you hold is what you were born to do. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. It's a chasing after the wind. And then he continues. He says this in verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. And we read that, we're like, well, so what? But in that culture, if you didn't have a son, if you didn't have a brother, there was no one to receive your estate when you passed on. You couldn't hand things off to your wife. Women at that point in time were not allowed to own property like that. They were not given dignity. Actually, it was Jesus when Jesus showed up where he started giving women dignity in the first place, right? And so for him, he would not have had anyone. He would work hard, and he would have no one to give, no one, nothing to show for it because there was nothing to hand down. He says, there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He was working at it. He was getting at it. He was working hard. He was getting more and more and better always leads to better. And then finally, and then finally, listen, what this guy does is he stops and he asks a question. And some of you, and I'm telling you, this, it, this is a question I still have to ask myself. We have to stop and ask ourselves this question early on. And listen, students in the room, the earlier you ask this question, the better off you will be in life. This is what he asked. He said, for whom am I toiling? For whom am I toiling? He's been going on year after year. He's like, why am I doing this? What am I trying to prove? Who am I trying to prove it to? It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Listen, we've got to ask this question, why are we doing this? Why are we striving? Who are you trying to impress? Why are you pushing? Why are you gritting your teeth? Who is it for? And for some of you, you're competing with your brother. For some of you, you're, you're trying to make your sister happy with you for once in your life. 
Some of you, you're trying to make your mom happy, and the thing is you'll never make your mom happy. You know how I know? Because if you could make your mom happy, you would have already made your mom happy. Some of you are living in the shadow of your father to finally approve of you. Some of you, your father's passed away and you're still trying to make him proud. Have you ever stopped to ask this powerful question? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Who am I doing this for? Whose approval am I competing for? Do they know and would they even care if they did know? Would it even matter Listen, clarifying the why will always bring meaning to the what. Clarifying why you're doing it will always be, bring meaning to the what. And then he goes on. He goes on. He says, why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? So the thing about this guy is he's, he's accomplished so much, but he has no one to leave it to. He's not even enjoying the stuff that he has. He's just getting all bound up, chasing after the wind. And he's saying, look, I'm not even enjoying the fruit of my labor. It's because he didn't answer the question in the first place. Why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? One handful with tranquility is better than two handfuls of toil and of grit and of tension and of a lack of peace. This is, how, this is how he assesses it. He says, this too is meaningless. A miserable business. Listen, you will never find out who you're meant to be if you're looking over your shoulder at what someone else thinks of you or how someone else is running their race. When it's your brother, if it's your dad, it's your friend, if you're looking off of their answers to the test of their life, you'll fail yours because your life is your test, and your life is your lane, and your race is your race, and you gotta run the race that God put in front of you. And the energy that you and I expend looking left and right and imitation is the energy God gave us to do the things that he's called and he's asked us to do. You have to learn to run your own race and quit chasing the wind. So back to Solomon. I want to share the whole verse of that opening verse in Proverbs that I started with. This is what he says. He says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart of peace. You can't compare your way to peace. It's not going to work. You can't win chasing the wind. There's no win in comparison because God's given you a race to run and get in your lane and focus on what God has asked you and what God has put in front of you and to be faithful what God has put in front of you. Look, this means that you're gonna say, God, I can't have someone else's gifts. I can't have their resources. I can't invest their time and energy to build your kingdom, but I can invest my gifts and I can invest my energy and I, I can't be faithful for what's right in front of them, but I can be faithful with what's right in front of me. You can look to others for inspiration. You can congratulate them. You can find, you can find some guidance. You can celebrate their wins, but don't look at them for imitation. 
And when someone at, at, at your work gets the job that you planned on, and, and when they get to go to the school that you were supposed to go, when they got the car that you had planned to get, you can celebrate with them, you can rejoice with them. Jordan Peterson is an author. He wrote in this book, 12 Rules for Life. This is a quote that he has on there. He says, compare yourself to where you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Compare yourself to where someone, uh, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. I think that's a great quote. I think he's got some stuff figured out. If you got to compare, compare yourself to where you were yesterday, not to where someone else is today. And please, and please, don't miss it because, listen, we're only given one shot. There's no joy in living someone else's life and running their race. There's no joy when you compare yourself to where they're at and then it makes you look at what you have and you are discontented and you're angry and you're bitter. You miss God's blessings. You miss it. So when, so when your emotions start drifting, and listen, it's usually an emotional thing, it might start as a thought, but you find it getting a tug on your heart when the flag is on the field, when you see that starting to happen, when you find yourself unable to rejoice with other people, that's when you start to say, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna chase after the win. There's no win in comparison. I'm gonna run my race. I'm gonna run it in my lane. I will not chase after the win. So what happened to you? Congratulations, that's great. Or I'm so sorry that happened to you. I mourn with you but I'm gonna stay in my lane. If you do, God will, you'll be, the, you'll be the person that God wanted you to be. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for me as well? And then we'll close out our time here together. God, if there's a, if there's a trap in the area of gratitude and thankfulness that I find myself falling into, it's, it's this area. So I'm preaching to myself here this evening. God, uh, Thank you for the words that Solomon gave us. God, give us that attentiveness in our own heart to see where we're pulled to the side to compare ourselves, our lives, our schedule, our square footage with what someone else has. And that comparison, God, will always leave us wanting more and never satisfied. Contentment, Lord. Contentment to be satisfied with where we're at. May it be true for us. So maybe in this time here, church, as we're together and we have these moments of prayer together, is there an area of your life where maybe you say, I I don't feel jealousy towards anybody or envy anywhere, but maybe there's that one spot, that one area that you've found your heart drifting. Would you name that before God? And would you ask him in this time to help you choose the path of contentment? And even in those spaces, not just to be content, but to be thankful for and to have gratitude for. And maybe maybe your step of obedience this week is every day this week, you're gonna spend time and just say, God, I know that my heart is usually twisted in this area, but I'm gonna thank you for. And then name that space where maybe you're most tempted to compare to others and watch him do a work in your heart. So God, thank you. We we praise you. Thanks for our time here together. We love you. We praise you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.